Chiefs Kingdom, welcome back. You are here with Justin and Caleb on the fourth episode of the Coach's Corner. We got another great episode coming for you guys. Caleb, what's going on, man? Man, we're already on episode four. Time is flying. Uh, everybody that's in Missouri and across the country, I hope everybody's staying safe. I hope that everybody is doing their best to make an impact for a positive way in their community. I hope everybody's finding a way to beat the seat, and I hope everybody's listening to talk or is ready to listen to some really good conversation about football that Justin and I are about to have today. Absolutely, man. I, I actually uh, went to McDonald's the other day to get a nice coffee, and the person in front of me bought my coffee. So that was a somebody out there spreading some kindness. So thank you to that person if you happen to be listening to this. <laughs> No, absolutely. That's awesome. I love seeing stuff like that, especially, I mean, you just have to see the kind of love that people have for one another. And I think that it's really important in just tough times for our country that we see this kind of active compassion and stuff like that. A little bit of kindness goes a long way. That is, that is for sure. Without question. Um, let's talk about something else that's pretty exciting going on right now. And that is that the NFL is allowing the head coaches to be there. And, and we got to see the video of big red pulling up, being the first guy to report. And I, I got to tell you, it fired me up. I was gets, gets me very excited for the season. No, you're absolutely correct. And I don't think there could have been a better way for the chiefs to kind of start off their run it back campaign after this just tumultuous off season with everything that's gone on, to see Andy Reid, the pillar of the franchise, the stone of the team, to be able to see him being the first guy walking in and ready to get rolling again, I think that speaks volumes. And I think that that not only is going to set the example for the Kansas City community, whether it comes to restarting and rebooting after the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still currently going through, but I also think that it is going to be an absolutely excellent thing for the NFL to see one of the top two head coaches in the league already back and ready to go. No kidding. It, it was very exciting. I'm ready to go. I think that, you know, these pods that we've been doing gets me excited. I look forward to it every single week. And we got another one that I'm excited to talk about today. So, we're actually going to go through and we're going to give our rankings of what are the most important positions in the NFL for today. I think that it's a, we came up with kind of a consensus, but you can kind of see where certain positions really can be, you could go either way with it, but we're going to start off here. And, and then I think it's, this one is a no question, right? And that's the mm -hmm. quarterback position. It's the most important position in football. And it's arguably the most important position in any sport. 100%. And we could go into a big data analysis and breakdown. I'm sure Justin's got something for you here in a minute. Just think about this, though. The quarterback is the only skill player that on every play will touch the ball. You don't have to show a big stats. You don't have to show a lot of figures to know that that kind of makes him the most important guy on the field. And while at the same time, he's also the field general responsible for taking his team down the field to score. Yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, in, in any team too, you look at the way that the way that the NFL is going now with the way that the offenses are, 
everything is runs through the quarterback. You have to have a quarterback with the ability to make plays outside the pocket. You have to have a quarterback that can make throws against man, that can make throws against zone coverages, whose ability to he can adapt. It's it's it, the position is ever evolving too, and you kind of can see that you know with the guy that we have in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, right? He's he's kind of like what everybody wants right now on their football team. No, absolutely, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are very much a part of this evolution of quarterbacks that we're seeing now. Because I'll take you back to uh, when I read an article about Andy Reid and on ESPN.com. Andy Reid has come from pretty much a West Coast system, throw it around kind of system his entire coaching career, obviously started his coaching career in California. But the thing that he says about passing the ball, which is what makes the quarterback extremely valuable, is the fact that it is the quickest and fastest way to put up as many points on somebody as possible. And I know that Andy Reid, I mean, the Chiefs do have the bombs in their offense, but the most important position in any Andy Reid offense is the quarterback. And it's, I mean, like we said, it's become that way because they are going to be the guys that have to lead the team down the field. Not The Chiefs aren't going to line up and run the ball 30 times a game. Well, we're starting to see that trend happen a lot more. But I mean, also just through the evolution of the game, we've seen the quarterback rise up and become more valuable and more valuable every year just because of the nature of the position. You know, it's not like, in the 80s where you can have a guy that can just go out there and hand the ball off and maybe complete 10 out of 15 passes and they're going to win. No, you're going to have to complete a high percentage of passes. You're going to have to be able to move the ball downfield and you're going to have to be able to convert on third downs. Yeah, and I look at it too. You look at, you know, playoffs. The the teams that are going far into the playoffs are the teams that have good quarterbacks. The teams that don't have the great quarterbacks that are trying to rely on on defense and trying to rely on a good running game. Those are the teams that are easier bounced out of the playoffs. I think even back to when, you know, Kansas City, when Reed first got here with Alex Smith, they had good football teams, but they, they couldn't get over the hump, right? We lost to a Pittsburgh Steelers team and they didn't they didn't score a touchdown. That you know, and then finally we get Mahomes in this year and we should have had you know potentially be going back to back if it wasn't for you know D Ford lining up offsides he's just doing remarkable things you know you you get down 24 nothing and then you come back and score 51 points in the game it's unbelievable to see and then you look even further than that other than Kansas City and I I think because I'm up you know near Buffalo and everybody's talking about Josh Allen and where is he gonna go and that's the thing like that that roster is a very good roster you know, Coach McDermott up here, he's he's done a nice job of building that team with uh, Brandon Bean, the, the general manager. And it all comes back to, can Josh Allen be competent, right? You know, you look exactly. at all the stats and then you look at him, what he what he did in the in the playoffs this past year, and he got out-dueled, right? He kind of fell mm-hmm. apart when, the, when his team needed him. And then Deshaun Watson, he was making the plays, and that's why they advanced, because they had the better quarterback. And true, and... Also, looking up to the Pacific Northwest, there's a guy who's been very underrated his entire career, but for the last couple of seasons, he's been really the only heartbeat on offense the Seattle Seahawks have had, and that's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has taken the Seahawks, who I don't think with their roster, they have especially with as poor of offensive line, of poor as running game, and as poor as their receiving core has been, 
I think that he has been one of the perfect examples of why a quarterback is so valuable because he has elevated his team to the playoffs. Now, they haven't won like they did early in his career when they had those great defenses and a few more weapons on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think the Seahawks are a five or six. I think the Seahawks win maybe four games. They're definitely not a playoff team without him. Without him, they could very easily be picking within the top five picks of the draft. That is something else interesting to look about. But that's just his impact on the game. And like you say, he plays a lot like Mahomes does. Can throw the deep ball, can scramble around, really accurate. I mean, he's just like another one of those perfect passers in the pocket that, I mean, you have to have to be able to win in the NFL today. No question, and I agree with that. Wilson is very, you know, very unappreciated, I think, for what he has to work with and what he's able to do. You said it pretty well there. Now, if we keep going down our list here, our number two position is kind of, we talked about it before, and I like the way you phrased it. It was almost, they're the first line of defense against the quarterback, right? So if the quarterback's the most valuable, I would say the second most is the defensive backs. They're the ones that are having to deal with all these superstar quarterbacks running around, chucking it chasing after Tyree kill every play, you know, all these amazing receivers that are coming out every single year, you know, this year it says this is the best draft class for receivers in how long. And then already for 2021, they're saying, well, this receiver class is going to be even better. Well, if you've got all these great receivers, you better have some good DBs too. Think back to the Darrell Revis Jets days or the Richard Sherman Seattle Seahawks days when they went on their run in Seattle. Those guys took away a whole half of the field, and that wasn't by accident. That's because they were absolutely the best at what they did, and they had to be accounted for on every play. Taking away a whole half of the field throughout the course of a game is ridiculously valuable for anybody. And like I said, like we were talking about the other day when we were coming up with ideas for this, we could you could say an edge rusher for two. But it is unrealistic, even for the best edge rusher in the game, even for a Khalil Mack, to be able to pressure or get or be able to get a pressure or a sack every play. But it is not by any stretch of the imagination impossible for a quarterback to target one cornerback time and time again. I mean, uh, we've seen Steven Nelson and Philip Gaines in Kansas City. That's no good. We've seen what happens when teams just want to go after guys constantly. It's just as a backbreaker. To be able to have a solid guy at that position, to be able to have that position stout, to be able to have a guy to take on the number one receiver every play and maybe even intercept one or take it back, I think that's absolutely huge. I mean, and like you say, these guys may not even have the ball thrown to them, but that doesn't mean they're not even making an impact on the game. If they can just consistently cover their man and take away one route every play, that's one more concept the other team can't hit on. And something I like to think about is, you know, who's the pretty good coaches in the NFL? Well, Bill Belichick's been pretty much the best coach in the NFL for 20 years, right, at this point. His big thing, if you look at it, is he always pays the defense backs. He'll find a way to create pressure by doing different stunts and twists and things like that. And it's his defense runs through his, his secondary. And I think that that's kind of why one of the reasons you lean DB over pass rush, because you're, you're, you can create pressure. Like I said, by doing those stunts, by doing this thing, you can't hide if you have a bad corner, right? There's, there's, you can have the best scheme in the world, 
But if you don't have anybody in the secondary that can cover anybody, you're going to get exposed. It's just how it is. You exactly. know, and I think you look at like Kansas City, Kansas City can cover cover up kind of their patchwork corner position because of the way that their safeties are, right? Their safety plays mm-hmm. so good. And really Traverius Ward has been pretty pretty underrated. I just saw the stat the other day on Twitter that he had the fourth um, lowest quarterback rating against him of any DB in the NFL. So that's that's pretty impressive to me. And you can kind of see why the defense took that jump was, you know, his play becoming better. You're not going to be able to do that if you don't have at least one side of the field that you're able to, to take away. Yeah, I actually read the book by Bill Belichick's father called The Modern Guide to Scouting Football. It's very interesting to read. I I forget Bill Belichick's father's name. I think it was Steve Belichick. But in the book, The Modern Guide to Scouting Football, in the very first paragraph, it says the most important position on the defensive side of the football is the secondary play because they are the primary line of defense for any runner or pass to be to not be able to score a touchdown, which basically he said they're the most important guys, whether it be a team running the ball, like a safety coming up and making a stop to prevent a touchdown, or a DB breaking up a pass for a touchdown. So that's kind of something interesting I thought about when I read that. And we just talked about all the corners, but that's a good thing you brought up the safeties. We are seeing an evolution of safeties in the NFL. Tyron Matthew has become one of those positionless wonders in Kansas City. But also, you look around the league with young standouts like Jamal Adams and other players like that. Um, Those guys are really becoming... Like they're becoming like what everybody almost wants a linebacker to be tackling wise, but they can also go back and play a too high cover. They can come down, roll over. I mean, there's just so many different things that you can use safeties for in the NFL today. And they've safeties have always been one of the more important positions on the football field. They've always been paid like one of the most important positions. That's because they are because like you said, chiefs have average cornerback play. We discussed last week, it's going to be patchy to start the season at best. What do the Chiefs have? Well, though, the Chiefs have a very strong safety core. They're going to be bringing back Sorensen. They have Juan Thornhill as a head of recovery, and Tyron Matthews an all-pro. That's a good combination, guys, and we haven't even gotten into a guy like Armani Watts yet who's done nothing but flash and who just doesn't really haven't had a chance to get on the field with the, the other players in that room. Yeah, 100%. So if we keep moving down our list here, so we have quarterback was first. We just talked about DB, and we said that they slightly edged out edge rusher for the number three spot. And like we said, like I was just saying, it's it, it was it's close, right? Everybody talks about having that pass rusher that can disrupt the game. And I think to the Super Bowl right away, right? Nick Bosa, that guy was an absolute terror for – Eric Fisher for that first part of the game, you know, first, well, pretty much three quarters and, you know, Mahomes being who he was and that's why the quarterback's so important. He was able to, you know, buy time and do what he had to do to get the job done. But you have that dominant pass rusher that obviously is going to help your secondary too. Yeah. And obviously you look at how well Bosa played in the Super Bowl, but why is edge also the third most valuable position? Because sometimes when you have to have it, there's not going to be enough. You can't always get an interception to rely on 
the DB to be able to cover it up. When you have to have one, you need to get a sack. That's why the edge is invaluable because you look at what Frank Clark did in this playoff run the Chiefs just had. How much value is that? He ended the game three times. He had, what, five sacks in three playoff games. That's just giant impacts in every game, especially in the Super Bowl, to pretty much clinch it to give the Chiefs the ball back. That was huge. That is like almost the Derek Thomas factor you think of. Like when the game is on the line and you have to have it, you really need your edge rusher to be the guy to get it. Because when the ball leaves the quarterback's hands, there's a lot of weird things that can happen. So edge is number three because of that. Because when you need to have it, they're going to be able to – you need to have the guy that's going to be able to get it done for you. And you look around the league, guys like Khalil Mack, highly paid players, and then you have guys like Chandler Jones who have been vastly underrated their entire career but have finally started to catch the attention they need and deserve. Those guys play just as much a factor in their team winning based on the design of their team. Now, it may not be as efficient as like stopping it with a defensive back – but to have that big, imposing pass rusher off the edge that you're going to have to take up a double team chip and have people stay in, tied in, stay in his blocks, that affects an offense now. That really causes some things to have to change up front protection-wise. And if your guy is good enough, he can even get back there and strip the ball from the quarterback. Absolutely. And that's, that was a Derek Thomas special, right? That was him coming around the corner and you saw it coming. He was doing that tomahawk chop right down on the quarterback's arms and not only getting the sack, but he's getting the fumble and recovering the ball too. And those are game, game changing plays. You know, those are as impactful as, as an interception and maybe more because you're getting, you know, a hit on the quarterback as well, which is you get in the heads of the quarterback, you can really disrupt the game. And, you know, you can see why too, why, edge rusher is so valuable look look at how many times a defensive end or edge rusher has gone high in the draft I mean just this past year we had Chase Young going second overall to the Redskins right Miles (laughs) Garrett all these guys you know getting drafted so high because obviously the NFL sees the value in having a great pass rusher and I think that you know the Chiefs brought in Frank Clark for the reason that you talked about because he's a closer and he also did what D Ford couldn't do. Well, one line up on sides, but he also is so good against the run that you know you force the teams in those situations. Like if teams want to go against everything that they should right now and run the ball in first and second, Clark's going to set the edge and he's going to he's going to give himself that pass rush opportunity on third down, and then he gets the job done when he does get those chances. I think an excellent example of that is the one of the first plays of the Super Bowl when uh, George Kittle's lined up and tries to reach the edge on Frank Clark, and Frank Clark pretty much just sits in the hole, hits him with a, little, with a long arm extension, but he doesn't let him get any movement. And then once the running back makes his cut and decides he can't get to the outside, he just slams Kittle into the hole, takes the play away, and you kind of ragdoll him. And he set that edge. He set the tone early in the game for how it was going to go. And when you look at D Ford, D Ford, had a lot of sacks in Kansas City. How many of them were big sacks? How many of them were clutch moments, big games? I know he had some sacks in the playoff game versus Indianapolis in 2018. That game was practically closed out by halftime, though, the way the Colts were playing offensively. And by the way, the Chiefs were also on a tear on offense that game in Mahomes' first game. So D. Ford had a lot of sacks in Kansas City. Not many of them were high-impact sacks in football games, though. 
Yep, no question. And that's the big thing. Can you be clutch? Can you make those big plays? Right. So continue moving down that list. Right. So if we have edge is the third most important position in the NFL for today. The guy, the next position we have are the guys that have to block them on every play. And that's the offensive tackle. All right. We talked about how important quarterback was. If it's the most important position in the NFL. Well, you got to protect that guy. Right. And Kansas City has been fortunate enough to have probably the most underrated football player in the NFL and, and Mitchell Schwartz at that right tackle position. He's an all-pro offensive lineman, and Eric Fisher on the left side took to his counterpart, who has been a really solid figure for them for the past few years. You know, he took, like I said in the previous spot, it took him a little bit of time to come into his own, but he's really been a solid figure for him on that left side of the offensive line. And obviously, with all these great pass rushers in the NFL, you got to have people that can protect the quarterback. Now, offensive tackle may only be the fourth most valuable position in football, but you could make a case that it is arguably the hardest position to play in football up there with defensive back. And here's the reason why I say this. You have guys like Chase Young, who people at places like Pro Football Focus are saying might be the biggest freak show athlete, might be the highest graded football player they've ever had coming out of college. You have guys like that, with the athletic ability he has. And think about also guys like like him, Khalil Mack, Shaquille Barrett, Chandler Jones, Frank Clarks, TJ Watts, JJ Watt in his prime. Think about how good athletically those guys are. Look at their body types. I mean, they got the big upper body. I mean, they're rocked up in the middle and then just big legs, ready to go. They're all fast. Now take someone that's probably around 30 to 40 pounds heavier than them not built like not built like an Adonis like they are. And while this guy gets to get a running head start at them, the tackle has to sit there with his drive and has to be able to basically move backwards and pass block them while at the same time having the same amount of awareness where the quarterback is at the same time. It's not an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. And you also go into it, defensive back gets one sack a game but plays terrible well that's 16 sacks at the end of the season he gets a hundred million dollars offensive tackle gives up one sack a game but plays great he's out of a job there's a ridiculously small margin of error at that position and to see what a guy like mitchell schwartz has done the absolute perfection and excellence it is not a it's a crime that he's not recognized more nationally more mainstream for being the player that he is when they talk about the best tackles in the game. He really is too. He he's so underrated and he's just so solid and he's just so good. You know, the run that he had in the playoffs uh, was just incredible. Like to give up no sacks and no pressures going against the, the defenses that they saw. That's just, just a remarkable thing. And really the only time you hear about the, the offensive line for the most part is whether, you know, they're getting a penalty or they're giving up sacks. Other than why, otherwise, people don't know who you are, you know, when you're playing on the offensive line. So a very underappreciated position, but a very important position, obviously. No, As we uh, keep working down our list here. Oh, Justin, uh, you can go, go ahead. ahead. No, well, I was just going to say one more thing. Back I was going to say I was just going to throw one more note into the offensive tackle thing. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz has gone against the likes of Khalil Mack, Von Miller, 
Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram last season didn't give up one sack. So that's the answer for your edge rushers. Yeah, those are incredible stats too, because especially in the AFC West with the pass rushers that you you know you just lifted, listed off, they got their work cut out from them every single week. As we move down yep. the list here, we're going to go to number five. The fifth most important position in the NFL are the guys that the quarterbacks are throwing the ball to the whole time, and that's the receivers. The receiver position has definitely evolved over the years, and I think that's part of something that you see because of the way high school and college football is being played, right? So seven-on-seven is such a popular thing now in high school. That you know, you got all the air raid offenses going. Everybody's throwing the ball all the time. Everybody wants to play receiver. And a guy like Tyreek Hill for Kansas City, the guy's an absolute game changer. He changes the way defenses play because of his athleticism, because of his ball skills. And I think that's one of the things that's actually underrated to Hill is how he how good he actually is at tracking the ball in the air. It might be, other than his speed, his best trait, right? And you know, around the NFL. Nowadays, everybody's looking for that stud receiver on the outside to help their quarterback out. No, and you have to have a wide receiver to play in today's NFL. And the reason you have to say that, well, first we need to take a look. I'd say in the last 30 years of football, how the game has evolved, wide receivers have gone probably from the bottom three or four in the list, probably up to number one, because, you know, back in the day, you're lucky to have a guy that you can throw the ball to five games and maybe he'll catch one touchdown. You can make one big play. Obviously exceptions are like Jerry Rice and guys like that that played on those 49ers teams. But now you look at every team in the NFL seems to be stacked with talent. I mean, I don't think we've ever had this much receiver talent ever in the NFL. And it goes back to the, how the game is starting to evolve into a passing league. It's also kind of how from, Teams in college are really been utilizing the spread more and more over the last 20 seasons. But look around at some of the talent we have in the league, and I don't think there's been another time in the history of the NFL that there's been like this much talent. Because you got Michael Thomas, who is just a machine in New Orleans. The guy catches everything. He's the go-to down there. Then now you switch over to the Arizona Cardinals, which the Texans were stupid to give up DeAndre Hopkins because he's arguably one of the best receivers also in the NFL right now, the way that he's able to uh, catch the ball. And you see how desperate teams are to get that wide receiver just to be able to help their team. And I'll go back to our, we like making an example out of the Buffalo Bills. Look at what they gave up for Stephon Diggs. Those guys are desperate to be able to score through the air. Why? I mean, it's the most efficient, it's more efficient than running the ball. So as quarterbacks get better, teams need more and more receivers. And then, like you said, a guy like Tyreek Hill, his value can't be measured just on a chart alone because he can do so many different things, so many different routes, and there's so much versatility in his game, whether it just be that deep threat or he's going to run a slant and he can do the underneath stuff, the outside stuff very well, an absolute blur. He can score just like that. You can really make the argument that after Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill might be the most valuable chief. And and it's for that reason. He's just such a threat. 
And it's the reason why every time you see the Chiefs play the Patriots that Bill Belichick's putting two of those defensive backs that are so good uh, on Hill. He just warrants so much attention because of the way he's able to play it. And and to go back to kind of the DeAndre Hopkins thing is look how good he had had been even before Deshaun Watson when he never really was able to play with that great quarterback, but he was able to still produce. It's just because he was so talented. And even when they get, you know, the double coverage and when they, they get the the best corner, they're still able to make plays. And those guys, those guys add real value. And like you said, passing the ball is the most efficient way to score points. So you better have uh, some receivers to be able to do that. No, absolutely. I just, the way football's going, the receiver position's only going to continue to grow in value, especially when we, I, there's going to be a big wave of more college type stuff coming to the NFL very soon. We're already seeing it because one, it's easy to be able to get the players to adapt to what they've done for the last four or five years of school. And two, I mean, it kind of goes back into it. What if you can get these athletes running like these air raid type systems or stuff that they have in the NFL? So that's just going to be one of the things that evolves throughout football and also having that big play target has always been valuable, but now they're more than just a big play target. They've gone from that to now it's like, it's not a big play target, it's an every play target. Absolutely. So with our list now, so we've I, when we were talking about this before, I think that we came up with the, the, the first five pretty easy. It's after you go, you know, after this first five of positions where it's kind of, I would say not interchangeable, but there's definitely some murkiness to it where you can definitely make an argument for any of the other positions. But the position that we came up with for number as the, the you know the sixth most valuable position was interior defensive tackle. And I think the reason that we went there is again is because of the effect that they can have on the quarterback. They are the ones that can have the immediate pressure from the inside that can disrupt that quarterback. And, you know, you look at a guy in the a quarterback that might not be as mobile, that might not have his great pocket presence. Well, the best way to disrupt him is, is pressure right on the inside. Yeah. The defensive tackles, when we say this for the defensive tackles at this ranking, kind of throw out guys like Chris Jones and Aaron Donald, those are going to be good examples of guys, but those guys are more valuable to their team than their position is. But what those guys like that do well is they're able to push the pocket back because when you set the offensive line, you want the tackles to be able to set around the quarterback and kind of have that like island-type presence. And then when you have the interior offensive line, you want them to set the wall, and that wall is pretty much – what's prevents the what allows the quarterback to step up in the end of it so when you have these disruptive interior guys like that they're able to come through now obviously chris jones and aaron donald are far more valuable than a guy like snack snacks harrison has been when he was in detroit because while he's a good football player he's primarily a run stuffer and the other thing about the interior defensive tackles are they are one of their, they are probably the first line of defense, in my opinion, at least, for stopping the run, for stopping the inside run, I would say at least. But as time moves on, 
we see that teams need pass rushers more than they need the space eaters, especially in the the 4-3 defense that the Kansas City Chiefs like to play in. Yeah, there's a big difference between a guy that is going to be a two-down player where he's, you know, good against the run, can do make get, get you some stops, you know, play 40% of the snaps, and a guy like, like you said, a Chris Jones, an Aaron Donald, a Grady Jarrett, the guys that are, you know, those disruptive presence on the inside that can really get after the quarterback, you know, and it's not to say that those other guys don't have value because they obviously do, you know, the Chiefs defense was struggling against the run and they went out and they found Mike Pennell, who was just an absolute steal for that defense, right? I think his attitude along the interior really helped shape and form what their defense looked like for the end of the year and for that playoff run. Uh, so they definitely have their place, and they definitely have some value. But it, it just goes back to the thing that we started this conversation out with: is quarterbacks the most important position? So you got to find ways to disrupt them. And if you can get a good defensive tackle, you know I think back to the days. Now this is a name; it's probably going to date me. But John Randall, you know Warren Sapp, those guys were just so disruptive along the inside. They were just such great pass rushers that. You know, they're getting to the quarterback in three steps because they're so close to the ball. They're so close to the quarterback right now. And if you can get that instant pressure, that truly disrupts a game offensive game plan. We've been talking about these these kind of when we talk about the defensive players, we have been talking about the New England Patriots thing. So I do think it is important to bring up that arguably one of the biggest keys to the Patriots defense of the early two thousand was big Vince Wilfork. And that's kind of where it shows an individual outstanding effort because he was a three, four nose technique, but he was the kind of guy that actually takes up two or three spaces on the field at a time. So his, even though he did, that is the sixth most valuable position. If you have guys there that are going to be special difference makers, it can become invaluable, especially with a guy like Will Fork, who I remember had tremendous impacts in almost every game he was a part of whether it be his ability to take away the entire inside and force double teams from the offensive line. But also he had uh, an interception versus Phillip Rivers in the playoffs, I believe. So it all kind of depends on who your team has and what they want to do in the middle and kind of what your game plan is for it. Right. And if, you know, if we're going to say that, interior defensive tackle is is the sixth more th- most important position then the next position on our list is going to be the guys that have to block them and that's the interior offensive line and that's who we have on as number seven on our list and it's interesting for this because you look at the Kansas City Chiefs this past year and I would say that at best they had an average interior offensive line and that's at best right we all know the the, the struggles that LDT had Coming back from injury, he definitely didn't look like himself. Austin Ryder's a pretty good pass blocker, but he's not, you know, a great run blocker. And then the left guard, they were really trying to find their way until kind of uh, Stephen Wisniewski stepped in and, and really solidified that position for their playoff run. And it, it, it's something where you look at the Chiefs is one thing, and then on the other side of it is like the Saints, where the Saints have an outstanding interior offensive line and it's important too for them more so probably than Kansas City 
is because they have Drew Brees back there, who's not an incredibly athletic dude. He's got great pocket presence, great pocket movement. He's athletic inside the pocket. But you want to be able to keep those guys upright in the pocket. A guy that's not going to be able to you know, run around and make plays like Mahomes does on, on a consistent basis. They're more of rhythm passers. They want to stay in the pocket. And you got to be able to stop that immediate interior pressure. And that's what they're able to do. You know where else the interior offensive line is more valuable is for uh, a team like the Baltimore Ravens who rely on that run-heavy set and who really like to run their zone reads because they have had they had an all-time great who's just retired who's going to be in the Hall of Famer, Marshall Yadda. I mean, his impact alone on their team was huge. But you look at what they like to do. Those guys like to run zone right up the middle, whereas a team like the Chiefs, they're going to want to spread the ball out and either try to hit it up the outside or use their scheme and skill to be able to just allow their guys to cover people up. It's kind of that difference, and I think you're starting to see a lot of it. There's a lot of separation right now on the interior offense line where you say like there's a team like the Saints who want to be able to just drive and ground and pound. I think the Buffalo Bills are like that also. That's kind of the way the Minnesota Vikings play and the San Francisco 49ers hit that while we're talking about that ground and pound, set the pocket kind of players. And then you got more of like the Chiefs who want to just allow guys to get covered up, who just want to have one-on-one matchups and then let their skills play. And then you have a team like up in Seattle who they don't believe in blocking anybody. They just let Russell Wilson run around and make a player get killed. That's their philosophy. That's been their offensive line philosophy, though. You legitimately feel bad for Russell Wilson at times. It's so scary. (laughs) You can't tell if it's a screen or if they're actually running the pass play. Oh man. And it's you look at Kansas City too. You look at Kansas City too with the way that they actually scheme up their pass blocking. And they they definitely value the offensive tackle more than the that they value the interior line. And you can see that because they are often putting Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz on islands. They expect those guys to be able to win one on one battles, whereas they're usually giving their guards and centers help in pass pro. Which is, I guess, that's you know schematically too, kind of where you value things, but that just shows the importance of offensive tackle in comparison to interior offensive line as well. Yeah, and you know most teams they slide one way and have their backside back. One thing I noticed the Chiefs started to do, they just started leaving Damian Williams like in the middle so that he could help out with anything came with the middle. Now that just goes to show the confidence that Andy Reid had in his offensive tackles. But then you take another look at Andy Reid, and I believe the highest-graded interior offensive lineman the Chiefs have ever taken was Parker Eihinger in 2017 in the fourth round. He turned into Charvarius Ward. And outside of that, the only other offensive linemen that play the interior they've selected in the draft were Zach Fulton and uh, LDT in uh, 2015, I believe. And they were both sixth-round picks, so... It's not something big red values all that high, but again, it goes to show like back to the way the Chiefs play. The Saints, how do they play? They took Cesar Ruiz in the first round of the draft, and Cesar Ruiz looks like he's going to be posed. He's is poised to probably be a 10-year starter in the NFL just by the way he looked on film in college. Yeah, he was definitely somebody that I thought Kansas City would might have their eye on as well just to give him a little bit of an upgrade along the interior. As we keep moving down the list here, we're going to number eight. Number eight, 
is something that Kansas City fans know very well that we because we have the best one in the NFL, and that is tight end. And we're going to actually include fullbacks in there because the position that the way the NFL is kind of doing it right now, you can have those kind of positions interchangeable at some points. You know, you, you're going to have your traditional fullback where, like the 49ers, they have a traditional fullback, but, you know, you're also going to have those move type fullbacks. You're going to have like the H back, the wing back type guy. But the thing that I think is is the, the big mismatches is when you do have a guy like Kelsey, a guy like George Kittle, you know, somebody like a young guy in Denver and, and Noah Fant, where you get those athletic big guys that can unblock, but they can also run routes like their receivers, right? They're athletic. They they win one-on-one matchups. And you look at somebody like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey's a safety net. You can see when things are not going great and they need a completion, Mahomes is looking for his buddy over there, number 87, and he's just creates such a such a huge mismatch. You can't, he's too big for corners. He's too fast for linebackers. So you really have to put a lot of attention to him if you're a defensive team, if you don't have that guy that can match up with him. Yep, you're 100% correct in that. And a tight end's position is another one of those things, like I've said before, depends on how the teams want to use them. Baltimore Ravens tight end is an incredibly valuable position for them because, like we said, when you have those guys uh, like a Hurst up in Baltimore who can run that H-back, be like that kind of like that guy out of the backfield and also line up with your hand in the dirt, and as well as being able to go outside and play like the Y receiver, which is where we see Travis Kelsey line up 90% of the time in Kansas City. That's huge. I'm thinking around the league to all the other good tight ends in the NFL right now. I mean, uh, Greg Olson, he's getting ready to play another season, it looks like. And he, I mean, there's team people that didn't think he'd come back after another season. You look at guys like... Uh, Obviously, George Kittle in San Francisco, he's not the best tight end in the NFL, but he does everything that the 49ers need him to do. Could Travis Kelsey do what George Kittle does? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think George Kittle could do what Travis Kelsey does from a receiving standpoint, but no tight end in the history of the NFL has ever been asked to run the routes and do the concepts that Travis Kelsey does. But that being said, it all depends on how their team wants to use them. San Francisco plays very balanced football. They play run the ball and hit on play action pass. George Kittle is great for that. George Kittle went to the University of Iowa, who regularly puts these great offensive tackles in the NFL. Another one got drafted this year, and they regularly are going to put these good offensive linemen in the NFL, so it's no wonder their tight ends are going to know how to block. Kittle can a lot of times become like that sixth offensive lineman, but can he do what Travis Kelsey does in the passing game? Absolutely not. Because Travis Kelsey is running, there is one play against the second game against the Raiders, that game you were at, they run almost like a high, they run almost like a low wheel route into like just this big, it's like a cross field wheel route basically with him coming underneath. And I mean, he just absolutely torches the Raiders were trying to drop into some deep coverage to stop Watkins and Hill and he just shreds the zone. It was an easy throw for Mahomes. We haven't seen guys like that. We haven't seen tight ends like this run that run routes like that. He is he's unique, and I think that's something that you know every team in the NFL, if they could find a guy like that for their team, 
they would just be loving it. They'd be loving life. You always want to find those guys, those big guys that can block and create mismatches in the in the passing game. And then if we keep moving down the list now, all right, we're going to running back. So this is the ninth position in the NFL. We're saying it's running back. The Chiefs just got the running back for the future in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And this is the case, and we kind of touched on this a little bit when we talked about the offensive newcomers on our previous pod, was do running backs matter? Well, they do to some extent, obviously. They're going to, but that's why we have it so far down the list. You just watched the Super Bowl where you had Damian Williams and Raheem Mostert start, and they're undrafted free agent guys. Um, You know, you look at kind of the cap hell situation that some of these teams are in that have paid these running backs like a Todd Gurley, like a Ezekiel Elliott, like a David Johnson, like a Le'Veon Bell. These guys that now these teams are really trying to get out of those contract situations. But you also have the situation where if you have a good running back and you can create situations for him and positive situations where it's not just running the ball 50 times and, and killing them, where you can you can get great mismatches in the pass game, you know if they can turn an eight yard gain into a twenty yard gain, and that's where the that's where the value really comes in. <laughs> We're not just running the ball fifty times and killing them. Oh, that that actually cracks me up. But that is the old NFL's old philosophy on how to play football, which just never made really any sense. Probably just because the quarterback's arm talent hadn't been developed enough, but we go back into it like we were saying with that. The Chiefs are going to use their running back a lot differently than a team like the Colts are. team like the Colts, I forgot to mention in the interior offensive line conversation, there's this guy named Quentin Nelson. He might actually be the best overall offensive lineman in professional football. They're going to utilize him and the rest of their good offensive line and their very old, very decrepit quarterback, Phillip Rivers, and they are going to, as you say, run the ball with Jonathan Taylor 50 times a game and kill him. It's going to be so hard to watch because I enjoyed watching Jonathan Taylor's career, but that dude has way too many miles on his tires right now to be able to make it a long period of time in the NFL where we're going to have a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I think, will play long past his rookie contract whenever that comes out. And he's going to be a guy who's going to have 10 touches a game and probably have like 50 50 receiving, probably 75 running a game. He'll be like his average for his time with the Chiefs. So it's another one of those things where it depends on what you do. If you're a team that's no good, then paying a running back big money or drafting a running back big money is foolish unless it's kind of like a Saquon Barkley megastar, but you're a good team like the Chiefs or the Seahawks investing in a good running back may not be such a terrible decision. And that's where you get in the sticky situations too, I think, is the contract. It's you know, having a having a rookie running back is huge if you can be efficient because you're getting them getting them at such a cheap price. But it's when you get into that second contract stuff, if you're going to pay a guy, you know, Christian McCaffrey is a do it all type running back for Carolina. You know, he's got a hundred catches and you know, all those rushing yards on top of that. And he just got paid and he deserved to because the production's there. But even with his outstanding that last year, the, the Panthers still stunk because they didn't have a good quarterback. They had a terrible defense 
and you're just not going to get you're not going to get those wins from a running back, right? Even if you know you we keep going back to the Seattle Seahawks, they didn't have a great defense for what they've been known for was their defense. Their defense is not what it used to be. They don't have a great offensive line, but they're still competing for the division title every year because Russell Wilson's so good. Right. So the running backs don't just they just don't move the needle like other positions do as far as like adding that win value. Are they available to a point? And that's kind of, I think, the the argument that we're making here. No, and that's 100 percent. They're not going to bring the value to the table. Now, obviously, it's an important position to have in the game when you need to have it. But it's not so much important for building or starting your franchise. I mean, we saw Jamal Charles best football some of the times on very poor Chiefs teams. Likewise, I mean, you go to a guy like Barry Sanders, arguably the greatest runner in the history of the NFL. Look at those teams he played on in Detroit. They weren't very good either. So they're not going to be guys that can single-handedly elevate their teams. The the way that the NFL is going to be set up, we're going to see running backs as more of having a good, cheap running back is more of a luxury as we move into the future. Absolutely. And that gets us to our last position, which is linebacker. So to me, very interesting because the off the ball linebacker is not a position that you really think about um, too often. Now, Kansas City Chief fans, you think about it because we knew how poor that they were in coverage last year. Right. But even with as bad as that the Chiefs were in coverage, you know, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, Reggie Ragland, that's not those guys forte. They were still able to win a Super Bowl with having those guys not to be able to be in coverage. You know, they had to bring Ben Neiman on the field in their nickel and dime packages, and he he wasn't great in coverage to, to the point where they eventually had to use Daniel Sorensen in those one-on-one coverage situations against running backs and tight ends. They really were searching for linebacker to be that athletic guy, and that's why they drafted Willie Gay Jr. to hopefully be a guy that can stay on the field for all three downs. But I think that the, that you look at the value that the linebacker brings, an off-the-ball linebacker, and I, I want to make sure I distinguish that because there is a difference between off-the-ball and that edge-rushing linebacker in like a 3-4 um, type scheme where they're they're getting – they can put their hand in the dirt even and they can rush that passer. We talked about how important it is to be able to rush the passer. Well, if you're not doing that as a linebacker, I think that that's why the value is knocked so hard here on our list. Yeah, we're not talking about Khalil Mack or like the 3-4 backers, TJ Watt, stuff like that. I mean, like we're thinking more like that traditional 3-4-3 or middle linebacker, kind of like with Anthony Hitchens. And I know somewhere there's probably a football purist listening to this, very upset that linebacker has been ranked so low. But look at the evolution of the game. Guys like Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens 20 years ago, those guys would have been all pros the way football is played. Now they can't be on the field every down or they the Chiefs wouldn't have any success. And this all goes back to the defensive secondary between, between the DB group and the linebacker group is starting to become more positionless especially we can see it very distinctively with safeties and linebackers, but it's starting to become this positionless kind of unit. And that's not just because we think that because we've seen bad linebacker play in Kansas city. And we've had to see safeties overtake that 
look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons. The Arizona Cardinals are 100% going to play him as a safety, but they're going to let him roam the field and do whatever he wants. Why? He's a great athlete, so why would they pigeonhole him in to just playing either between the A gaps and the B gaps? And now there's a time and a place for that all of football. But we go back to the top of the list with the quarterback. You got to have a linebacker nowadays that can cover the flats, cover the slots, go inside and play. And that's why it's not so valuable because those guys, those rare linebackers like Bobby Wagner that can play the run, play the pass, rush the passer, those guys are incredibly rare to come across. And there's not a lot of guys in the NFL that can honestly do that kind of stuff. Like how many times, I mean, Fred Warner, good football player for uh, San Francisco, he's got no business being on the field when it's third and 15 because the Chiefs are going to be throwing slants passes here. They don't want to match him up on Travis Kelsey. That's a terrible matchup. He's good on downs one through two, stopping the ball and playing run. So that's kind of why we have them so low on their list is they're becoming obsolete as football goes on. I mean, it's becoming a thing where you're going to have your guy like your Anthony Hitchens that can run down and stop it up and stuff everything. Or you're going to have like, or uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of that pass covering linebacker. But really, I mean, it's just another guy that can play safety really well. Or a Patrick Queen, who we saw get drafted this year, who's not going to be as good inside playing between the tackles. But he's going to do a really good job of covering the flats, covering the slots, and dropping back into coverage. Absolutely. And this this has been a really interesting and fun conversation I, I think that we had here. So just going to give you guys a recap here. Number one, quarterback. Two, defensive back. Three, edge rusher. Four, offensive tackle. Five, wide receiver. Six, interior defensive tackle. Seven, interior offensive line. Eight, tight end fullback. Nine, running back. 10 linebacker and I want to hear what you guys think if you guys got a list go in the comments leave us your list tell us what you guys think is the most important positions in football go on Twitter you know add us on Twitter do all that stuff tell us what you tell us what your list is I want to hear it because I think it's an inter- interesting conversation to have um Caleb what do you got coming up on uh, Arrowhead live and stuff tell the people all right y'all so I'm I put on Twitter a couple of days ago uh some Mike Dana film clips from uh not only his last season at Michigan, but also his Central Michigan days. The Central Michigan days are very important to take a look at, so hopefully I'll be able to get that up sometime this week. And uh, my weekly column, the GMKC, that should be up Friday morning. Uh, Thanks to everyone that read the last one, which was about how Andy Reid's use of running backs influenced Brett Veach to take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I really appreciate that, and uh, this week, I'm going to be focusing on the quarterback situation headed into the season for the Chiefs, which Justin and I hit briefly on last week. But I'm going to look to expand to not only the current corner situation, but also the future of the position as well. Justin, what do you got coming up, bud? Yeah, so check out on Twitter. I put some clips of Javaris Davis up there. You know, after I was took my – Made my call, took my shot there with him. I had to put up some film to kind of show why every, show everybody what I was talking about and why I was so excited about him. Um, got an article coming out later in the week talking about the the best uh, 
non-quarterback contract bargains in the NFL. And I'm actually going to be starting a weekly column as well. Um, and it's going to be a power ranking and that's going to be power ranking, you know, everything. So it should be fun. Um, you know, I like lists. We just did a list and we're going to continue to do those on a weekly type column, including power ranking, you know, the teams in the NFLs, all that fun stuff. But you can find me on Twitter, uh, jdiz1617. You can find Caleb on Twitter at CJ Scoobs. Guys, we really appreciate you being here with us. You know, like we talked at the beginning of the show, keep being kind to each other. And we love you, Chiefs Kingdom. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.